As a community, First Baptist Belton exists for the purpose of knowing Jesus intimately, serving Jesus passionately, and sharing Jesus globally. Come join us on Sunday for our traditional worship service at 8.30 or our contemporary service at 11 and for Bible study at 9.45. We hope today's message encourages and strengthens your faith in God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship, to sing songs about the name that is above every name the name of Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity to lift up our voices, to declare that your word is true. It's what we stand firm on. Your promises are for our good. We thank you. We thank you for your word. We come to a point in our service now that we open your word. We know that all scripture is breathed out by you. It's your words that we come to. It's your words that we listen to. Lord, it's your word that we need to follow. And all of your word is useful. It's profitable. It's for our good. It's good for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training us in righteousness. Lord, I pray that as we spend a few moments in your word, God, that you would teach us. But God, I pray that we would not just be here this morning to gather information but God that we would come to your word being sensitive to it because we need to follow it we need to obey it so Lord we love you we thank you and it's in your wonderful powerful name we pray amen As most of you know, when you saw me walk in the room this morning, I'm wearing a jacket. So that probably meant something that I was going to preach. So um, I am, and my name is Matt Hollingsworth. I'm the associate pastor here. It's good to be with you this morning. If you're online, thank you for joining us and being a part of our worship service. We're so glad that you're with us. I want to start this morning, um, if you'll turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 22 here in just a moment. James chapter 1, verse 22. I want to start, I want to take you back, for most of you in this room, I want to take you back to your childhood. How many of you, how many of you sitting in the audience this morning, how many of you were raised in church or maybe you went to church periodically um, as a child? Raise your hand. Okay, so a lot, most of us in this room, okay? Now, so that probably means at one point or another as a child, whether you were in Sunday school or vacation Bible school, you probably learned the lyrics to this song. Now, I'm not going to sing it because we want to start the sermon off in a good point, okay? All right? But the lyrics of this song go like this. The B-I-B-L-E. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Now, when I was a kid and we sang that song, you always, right afterwards, I don't know if you were like this in your church, but right after that, everybody always screamed, Bible! Okay, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that here, okay? 
But the Bible, it, it, what, what great truths from that song, right? The Bible, it's, it's the book for me. It's, it's God's word for me. And I can stand on its truths. I can trust in its promises. I can hold fast to what it declares about God and salvation and who Christ is and how I can be saved. The Bible, that's the book for me. And I stand alone on the Word of God. But here's what I've come to realize as I've gotten older. Everyone, followers of Jesus, everyone loves the Bible until it starts confronting the things they love more than Jesus. If I were to poll the audience in here today, how many of you love the Bible? We'd probably raise our hand. Absolutely, I love the Word of God. But when it comes to our obedience to the Word of God, what does that reveal about our loving it? Everyone loves the Bible until it begins to confront the things they love more than Jesus. And that's what I want to spend time on this morning, is talking about obedience to God's Word. James, his, his book, this whole book of James, spends a, he, he, he doesn't really um, beat around the bush, if you will. I mean, he's very straightforward. His words are right at the point. Our staff, about a few months ago, I, I challenged them over the month to, to read the book of James however often they could to just get through the book of James over and over and over and over and over again. Some maybe took a little longer to read it and then they began it again. And we just read the book of James. And he, 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 he instructs us on so many different things. But I love what he says about God's word in verse 22. Let's stand in, in the honor of the reading of God's word, James 1, 22. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You may be seated. This passage of Scripture really, it, it breaks down really nicely. Most of what I'm going to talk about this morning, you could, you could hear this, you could figure this out by reading this chapter, these verses. This is not... Um, anything you probably haven't heard before. But this passage really breaks down pretty easily. The first thing that I want us to notice is the instruction that James gives us. The instruction. And the instruction is very clear. Be doers of the Word. Be doers of the Word. 
James says that hearing God's word without doing God's word isn't an option. James doesn't say that hearing the word isn't valuable. It is, it is valuable. You hear it in preaching, that's a valuable thing. You hear it in your Sunday school classes, that's valuable. You might, you might listen to certain preachers on podcasts. That's valuable to hear God's word. And it's important that you hear God's word, but that can't be the end of our receiving it. If our hearing of the word doesn't turn into action, then we're not really hearing as the Bible expects. Now, as I was thinking about this, I remember as a, as a young child, and if you've had children, you've probably experienced this as well, where your child heard you, but they didn't hear you as you expected, right? Well, my grandparents on my dad's side, they had a cabin at Possum Kingdom Lake. And they would take us periodically in the summer, me and my two older brothers, to Possum Kingdom. And we would hang out at the cabin and have a great time. And my grandmother, uh, I called her Mamaw, and she was awesome, and she always brought Starbursts. And I love Starburst. And I would just eat Starburst the whole time because she's my grandmother, and what's she going to say? No, right? Okay? So I just eat Starburst. Well, anyway, there's one time that my mom and my dad and my two older brothers and myself, along with my grandparents, went all together. And I was a young child. And my, my, my grandfather, my dad, myself, and my brothers, we went to the dock, okay, which is right by the water, and they began to work on a boat. And the instruction was very clear. I heard it, and it was this, Matt, while we're on the dock, do not play on the, the guardrails, the rails on the edge of the dock, right? Don't play on the handrails. And do not get near the water. Well, I heard it. Right? And my dad and my granddad, they're down there uh, dealing with the boat. I think something was messed up. And so they're working on the boat. And they're both um, down on all fours working on it. And I'm standing in the dock in the middle of the dock. And I'm watching them. And right over here is this handrail that's just calling my name, right? So I, I inch over toward the guardrail. I look back at my dad and my granddad, make sure they're not looking, right? And sure enough, they keep working on the boat because Matt heard the instruction. And I began to grab the handrail and I swing and I come back and land on the dock, right? I look back at my granddad and my dad. They're still working on the boat. So I keep on swinging. Well, sure enough, later on, I grab the handrail and I swing out and I lose grip. And I splash into the water. And sure enough, my dad heard the splash and he reaches down and grabs me and pulls me up on the dock. And all he had to do at that moment was give me a look. (laughs) And you know what that means, right? You probably had that with your parents. And I got that look. And I went right back to the middle of the dock, dripping wet, and I stood there until they finished working on that boat. I mean, I stood still, right? But I heard the instruction, but I didn't act on the instruction. You've probably had that happen as, as a parent when you tell your child something. Don't touch the stove. And what do they do? 
touch the stove. Don't eat those cookies because they're for guests coming over. And all of a sudden you look at the platter and some of the cookies are gone. That might be your spouse. (laughs) But right, they hear the instruction, but it's not the kind of hearing intended. The kind of hearing that was intended was to obey the instruction. Do as I say. It's not right hearing if we don't act in obedience. And this is what James is saying. When we hear God speak in his written word, obedience should be the result. It should be the overflow. As I was studying, I was reminded of the, of the story in Matthew 8. You, you know the story. It's a great story about, about who Jesus is and his power and his authority. And they're on a boat. And the storm's coming. And Jesus calms the storm with his word, right? You remember the story. Great, great story. He calms the storm with his words. And then the disciples, they ask this amazing question. They say, who is this man that even the wind and the sea obey him? And as I'm sitting there thinking about that story, the winds and the sea obey Jesus. How about you? The winds and the sea obey Jesus and his word. How about you? How about you after your daily time in the word? After a Bible study during the week? During a Sunday school class where your teacher teaches the word of God? After a Sunday sermon? After an exhortation from a brother or sister in Christ? Is it moving you to action? Now, if you look back at the text, to hear the word of God and not to do it, James says it's self-deception. In other words, there's this false reasoning going on. As long as I'm reading my Bible, as long as I'm looking at it, then I'm okay. It's this self-deception, James says. I'm, I'm making progress as long as I'm in it. But James is basically saying that those things are well and good, but they mean nothing if you're not obeying what you hear. If you merely hear the word and not do it, there's a good chance that you might be faking a relationship with Jesus. If you merely hear the word, but you're still a slave to your passions, to your addictions, to your sinful desires... Don't be fooled into thinking that you're okay, because you may not be. True faith in Jesus leads to obedience. Romans 1.5 tells us that the, the goal of the gospel spreading among all peoples is obedience of faith. Obedience of faith among all nations. The point is faith that obeys Jesus says it this way in John 15, 14. He says, you are my friends, Jesus says, if you do what I command you. We can't just read the word and look at the word and not do what it says. This is basic to being a Jesus follower. Genuine hearing expresses itself in doing. So James here is he's guarding the church from self-deception. And his word guards us from patting ourselves on the back of having our theological ducks in a row, but not 
ever doing what God says. In other words, let me give some examples. These are only a few. We cannot say that our God is generous and never give our money. We cannot say that God is love and never lay down our lives for one another. We cannot say or champion grace and look down on others and be unforgiving. We cannot hear that the people are totally depraved and going to hell and not do something about it by sharing the gospel to them. We must obey God's word. It should require action. My friends, we can't come Sunday after sermon. Sunday. We can't go to this or that Bible study. We can't attend that or this Bible conference. We can't read gospel or Bible-focused blogs, attend seminary classes, and download sermons for the drive to work and not obey. Let me be very practical for us in the future. There will be a day when a new pastor stands in this pulpit. He is not preaching the word to you for you to gather information. If we're a church that hears the word of God and just listens to it and never obeys it and acts on it, then we're a dead church. He is not standing up here to preach for information only. We need to obey the word of God. Prioritizing the Bible requires obedience. And that's James' instruction. We must be doers of the word. Well, now James helps us. If you look back at the text, he gives us two images. He gives us two images. The first picture is in verse 23. And when you read it, it's re- it really sounds ridiculous, right? It's the forgetful hearer. He illustrates the forgetful hearer in verse 23, and he says that a man looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Now, mirrors in James' day weren't like mirrors in ours today. They were made out of polished bronze or silver. And at best, they gave you this warped image. That's why he has to look intently to make out what might be out of place in himself or his face. But what's outrageous with this image that James paints is that even after looking at himself intently, he walks away without any change. Look at verse 24. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. Now, how many of you look in a mirror and you see something on your shirt, out of place, in your teeth, and you just walk away and don't make any changes? I mean, it's, it's meant to be ridiculous, And that's what James is saying. He's saying the forgetful hearer is foolish because he looks intently, but he doesn't do anything with it. But not only that, he cuts himself off from blessing. And this is where the second image comes from. Look at verse 25. He says, but the man who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. 
So you have the ridiculous, forgetful hearer. He looks, he goes away, and he forgets. Now you have the blessed, active doer. He looks, he perseveres, and acts. And the contrast between these two pictures is between the result of their looking. The forgetful hearer, he hears the word, but he does not internalize it. And it does it and doesn't use it to transform his life. The active doer, he hears the word, he internalizes it and uses it to transform his life. He obeys it. He does what it says. He's compelled to action. But I want you to see the result. What's the result? God blesses him. God blesses him. Now, this this sounds familiar to Psalms chapter one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. And then the psalmist explains what this person who delights in the law, who meditates on it, who acts on the word of God, he says he's like a tree planted by streams of living water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. God blesses obedience. Psalm 119, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, obedience. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You, God, have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes, that I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. Blessed is that man. Blessed is that woman who keeps the word of God, who does what God says. Now you may ask, Matt, are you saying then that God, God's blessing is contingent on our obedience? No, I'm not saying that at all. The Bible does. The Bible says that. But I want to be clear on how James is saying it, because I don't want us to get the picture that this is a works-based salvation or a prosperity gospel. Notice what the active doer looks into. James calls it the perfect law, the law of liberty or freedom. What is this law? How can James talk of law as liberty? Usually when we think of law, we think of constraint, not freedom. So what is James talking about? Let's unpack this for a moment, and I'm going I'm to try to tie it all together here in just a second. What James has in mind is two things. One, the law as interpreted by and fulfilled by Jesus. And as internalized by the Spirit under the new covenant. So the law fulfilled by Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit under the new covenant. So first off, a a few things. If you look through the book of James, 
James speaks about the word of truth that brought new birth in verse 18. That phrase, word of truth, is used elsewhere as a reference to the gospel of Jesus. You can see this in Ephesians 1. You can see this in Colossians 1, 1 Peter chapter 1. And part of that message is what Jesus did to fulfill the law, to bring all that the law promised to its intended consummation, both in the person of Jesus and in his new people. Something else you can see in verse 21 of chapter 1. James speaks of the implanted word. This language is new covenant language. Jeremiah 31, 33, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. Well, Jesus then comes and he inaugurates the new covenant and the spirit writes the law on our hearts. You can see in James chapter 2, verse 8, he speaks of us fulfilling the law through loving our neighbor. Paul says this in Galatians 5, that it's not only possible, in, that this is only possible in Christ's death and resurrection. So in other words, Jesus produces change in us, and that change by the Holy Spirit allows us to bear one another's burdens, to love our neighbor, to fulfill the law. So what James calls the law of liberty, Paul calls the law of Christ. Now later on, or earlier on, Paul spends time developing this whole idea of the freedom in Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit under the new covenant. He does this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, in particular, verse 15 through 17. He says this, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, The veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom is associated with the gift of the Spirit. This is not law as burden. This is new life in Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit. So let's tie this together. Outside the law... Or outside of Christ, the law is our enemy. The law reveals and condemns us, and honestly, the law exposes what God thinks of us, that we are God's enemies apart from Christ. God condemns us. But all of that changes with the gospel. And once we're in Christ, that means once we're united with Jesus by trusting in him alone for our salvation. When that union happens, the law becomes our friend because of Jesus's righteousness. The law becomes our friend and because God is now our friend. He's now our father. The condemnation his law once spoke has been silenced by Jesus dying in our place and suffering our penalty. And on top of that, Jesus rose from the dead and afterwards He then sends His Holy Spirit. So when we receive Christ by faith in Him for our salvation, He then gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And a part of the Spirit's work under the new covenant is to internalize the law for God's people. So God creates a new heart and a new obedience empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit bears witness to the finished work of Jesus Christ. So now when we read the law in Christ, it's precious to us. 
It's precious. His words are precious to us because they no longer condemn us. They give us life, freedom, liberty, life the way God intended it to be, walking in obedience to the Holy Spirit, to what the Word of God reveals to us. The law serves as this forward-looking witness to the gospel and a present-day instruction for life. And this is where freedom is found. Freedom is found in being enabled by the Holy Spirit to live on earth like our Heavenly Father. Freedom is being enabled to bear the image of God in Christ that Adam once lost for us. Freedom is being enabled to live like Jesus, the true image of what humanity should be. And we get that freedom by God's grace in the gospel. He doesn't just give you forgiveness of sins, but he also empowers you with the spirit to overcome sinful living and to obey the word. You've heard it said, right? You may have even said it as a Christian. Well, I'm just a sinner. Can't help it. I'm just a sinner. That's just what I do. True. But Peter says it this way. One of my favorite passages. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. When you confess Christ as Lord and he becomes your savior and you're given the gift of the Holy Spirit, you have everything you need for life and godliness. Everything. And you might be saying, Matt, are you saying that we can be perfect? No, I'm not saying that. But you can obey. Corinthians tells us this. Paul writes in Corinthians that every temptation that you're provided a way out. In other words, when you're facing that temptation, you have the gift of the Spirit in you. You have a way out. He provides that for you. In other words, you don't have to give in. It's not just who you are. I'm a sinner. I have to give in. No, you can obey the Word of God because the Spirit resides in you. It's not works-based salvation if grace is behind our doing. Every act of true obedience to God's Word receives blessing because God is the author behind it. And God is worthy of all blessing. So in short, and you might be going, Matt, what's your point? In short... Church, God blesses obedience. It may not be the blessing that you think it needs to be, but He always blesses obedience. Always. Obey His Word. You'll receive His blessing. Now, at this point, we might be forced to ask, well, what kind of hearer am I? Am I a forgetful hearer or am I the active doer? And here's what I want us to see is that James gives us a few ways to examine our obedience. In verse 26 through 27, 
He says, if anyone thinks he is religious. So James calls it religion. And I know in our circles, we can get caught up and that word kind of receives a bad rap because we immediately go to the Pharisees, right? Oh, it's not about, it's not about religion. It's about relationship. What James is basically saying here though, is this relationship with Christ. It's this, the the religion is this outward expression of, It's an outward expression. If we say we're in Christ, then our outward religion, our outward expression will be obedience. It will be these kinds of things. Now, this isn't all of them, but a few. And he says this. Look at verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless so the first thing is a controlled speech notice the parallel between the unbridled tongue and the deceived heart james is following what jesus says in matthew 12 32 out of the abundance or the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks the tongue is a revealer of what we're really like inside james is saying That what we say is exactly who we are. What comes up in the bucket was down deep in the well to begin with. Our speech tells the truth about the state of our soul. In other words, if the general pattern of your life is harsh words to your spouse and your kids, if it's full of gossip, backbiting, bitterness and criticism of others including the church if it's full of cynical remarks and trivialities james says you need to examine yourself are you in christ because someone that's in christ they will control their tongue i would encourage you just a little commercial i would encourage you Take some time over the next few weeks or month to look through the scriptures and all the passages that have to deal with the tongue, the words, the way, the way we speak. See what the scripture says about it. If you truly belong to the Father, the Spirit will change your heart so that your speech brings Him glory and it edifies others. I'm not saying that you'll be perfect in all that you say. But you will learn to control what you say and how you say it. Our speech matters to God. James chapter 3 spends a lot of time, he spends actually 12 verses discussing the power of the tongue and, and taming it. He says, he says, out of one side of our mouth that we, we, we curse others and out of the other end of our mouth we bless God. And he says, brothers, this can't be. We can't do that. See, when we're truly in Christ, there will be a marked difference in what we say, what we talk about, and how we control our speech. We talk most about what we treasure in here. And the way we talk reveals the one we treasure. Another thing that he focuses on, another examination is this. You'll forsake the sinful ways of the world. 
Look at the end of verse 27. It says, to keep oneself unstained from the world. There are many, many good things that, are, that God made in this world. There are many things in this world that God made specifically for you to enjoy, to bring Him glory. And so James isn't telling us to renounce those things. Rather, James is speaking of, of the sinful world order. The world he has in mind is the system of evil and, and rebellion against God. It's the world that warps and abuses God's good gifts. It's the old disordered world that the Father rescued us from in Christ. And we must denounce it or renounce it. As I was thinking about this, here's a few things that I know and understand about loving the world. Number one, the world directs you to things that are merely probable and forsakes things that are certain and eternal. In other words, the promises of the world and the devil are seldom made good. That's one thing I know about the world. It'll direct you to things that are merely probable and forsake things that are certain and eternal. Here's the second thing I know about the world. Even if you do get the things of this world, they'll never satisfy you. And most likely, they will cause you to let go of the very thing that will satisfy you most. That's what I know about the world. And James says to renounce it, to keep ourselves unstained from the world. Doesn't mean isolate ourselves into holy huddles and circles because God has given us a mission to go and to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to be in the world, not of the world. He left us here for a mission. The problem is, the danger is, is that we eventually look just like the world and eventually have nothing to offer in the gospel since our redeemed life is indistinguishable from theirs. Church, this is, this is a scandal. When we don't renounce the sinful, sinful ways of the world by how we live, it brings a great scandal on the ways of God. We're to be distinct. We're to be different. We're to live according to the Word of God. Well, yeah, but everybody's doing it. So what? That doesn't make it right. We're to obey God's Word. When professing Christians are like the world, their love for the world and the things of the world, it causes the appearance that they have nothing but a profession of religion. But when the Father puts His DNA in you, you grow to hate the things that He hates. You hate sexual immorality. You hate pornography. You hate injustice. You hate demeaning remarks about women. You hate racism. You hate idolatry. You hate greed and envy and half-truths and the fear of man. But you also love what God loves. You love the glory of Christ. You love your neighbor. You love the church. You love all that God created good. You love joy, peace, and righteousness. You love living generously. In other words, you have a fondness for all that will characterize the new heaven and new earth. It motivates you to renounce everything that will keep you from enjoying Christ. But lastly, 
Look at the, look at verse 27 there. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God. The Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. So the, the third examination is you care for the helpless. Now, and I, I don't want you to mistake the word here. Care for the helpless. When he's saying visit, that's not just dropping by. It's being intentional. It means going to them with the intent, the purpose to help. Give them aid. Do justice for their situation. It's more along the lines of Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan where we make their needs our own. We call to help alleviate the distress of those who cannot pay us back. This is the overriding testimony of the Bible, caring for the helpless. All over the scriptures, Isaiah 117, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Isaiah 58 even teaches that caring for the helpless proved whether there was true love in God's people or whether they were just giving him lip service. And James is saying the same thing. Our religion is a charade if it shows no regard for the helpless. So you might tackle a big project like social reform. You get involved in leading in your community to changing the social conditions and structures. Every single one of us in this room have the capacity to engage in opportunities for immediate relief. Helping and serving when our church hosts Family Promise, a ministry that helps homeless families. You can be a part of Apple Tree and Angel Tree. Volunteer to serve at Helping Hands or the Body of Christ Community Clinic or churches touching lives for Christ or Helping Hands. If you're in a place to do so, I did a little research through Tracy this week. If you're in a place to do so, consider fostering one of the 952 children in our foster care system in Bell County. 952. Church, we've got to rise up. There's 190 of those awaiting adoption. Maybe your Sunday school class or small group can collectively work together to support a child through an organization like Compassion International. Maybe you take your older children to volunteer at a homeless shelter. Maybe you and your wife work at the Body of Christ Community Clinic. Maybe for some of us, men, maybe for some of us, we become a father to the fatherless right here in our own church. We mentor, we come alongside young children that don't have fathers or may have absent fathers or dads that don't come to church and love Jesus. Not only that, church, did you know that when you tithe to First Baptist Belton, 12 different organizations are impacted that care directly for the helpless. It doesn't just stay here. It it goes out and it helps. We can all do something when it comes to the poverty and orphans and widows and prisoners. There are a number of ways this could happen, but it's crucial that the church of Jesus Christ rise up and be marked by care for the helpless and the needy. I don't want you to get confused. I'm wrapping it up. 
I don't want you to get confused. I'm not talking about a social gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is our center. It is what we're built upon and no other message. But the gospel should produce in us, based on what the Bible says, should produce in us a care for the helpless. And you know why? Here's why. Because the gospel is the message of the Father loving us when we were helpless. That's what kind of God he is. Psalm 68, 5, he's a father to the fatherless and protector of the widow is God in his holy habitation. This is the kind of God we have. And he came to us when we were without hope. He sent his one and only son to aid us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins without escape. He loved us when we were unlovable. He cared for us when we were helpless. He gave himself for us knowing that we could not pay him back. This is why the church cares for the helpless. This is what our Father is like, and we have an amazing opportunity to reflect His compassion to the world. So church, let's be doers of the Word, not just hearers. Let's glory in the freedom of being God's children and showing the world what our Father is like in speech, in holiness, and in care for the helpless. Obedience is never obedience just for the sake of obedience. It's always to put on display the character and love of our Heavenly Father and to bring Him glory. Be doers of the Word. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank You for the opportunity to come to Your Word. Lord, I pray that as we spend some time and reflection and thinking upon it. Lord, I pray that by your Spirit you'd reveal to us areas that maybe we've become calloused toward our sin. That there's areas of your Word that maybe for some of us we've, we've just become comfortable. And God, I pray that you would help us by your spirit to be a church to be a people that not only love your word but we obey it no matter the cost because God you bless obedience God help us to be a church that focuses on controlled speech talk about the things that bring glory and honor to Jesus and edify others. Help us to be a church that's distinct from the world because we love you so much and we obey your word. And help us to care for the helpless. To take initiative. All of us, through our giving, through our volunteering, through our witness, Lord, I pray that we would be a church that are doers of the word. It's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our song of invitation. I'm down here at the front.
you need to pray or you want to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, I'm here. We have other pastors that are available to talk to you more about that. Let's respond to what the Lord has revealed to us through his word this morning. Let's sing. Thank you for listening. Please feel free to call the church at 254-939-0705 if you need prayer or need to talk with someone. We're here to listen, help, and encourage.